This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to another special episode of the Sky Blues Extra podcast, which is kindly sponsored by Shortland Horn, Coventry's leading estate agent. My name is Tom Ward, and I'm joined this evening by Andrew. Well, right, Tom, mate. And I'm pleased to say we're also joined by Andy Turner from the Coventry Telegraph. Evening, Andy. How are you? Very well, thank you. Good, good. Are you, uh, are you enjoying championship life so far? So far, so good. Yeah, it's been all right. Um, it's been interesting and, um, you know, lots of uh, positive and encouraging signs um, take Bournemouth out of the equation. But no, uh, so far, so good. I think it's been all right. Yeah. Would you, are we about where you expected us to be, you know, with your pre-season predictions after, was it, four games? Um, probably, yeah, I'd have thought, yeah. I mean, to be honest, I mean, I, I suppose the only disappointment is that they didn't get anything out of the Barnsley game, which, you know, you sort of when you look down the fixture list, which is pretty daunting to, thing to do if you, <laughs> if you do yeah. take time to do that, um, because every other game you think, oh, crikey, uh, that's a tough game. Oh, that's a tough game. Oh, that's going to be a really tough game. Do you know what I mean? And it, it's, um, so I just think that was a little bit disappointing because that, that's one way you think, well, they're sort of in the division by default, really, and you know, yeah. not, not that good. And, and it's just a shame, really, they didn't get three points because um, you know, hopefully they won't live regret that but um but yeah I mean you know I thought they were fantastic at Bristol on the first day and you know you take the two goals away that Bristol scored first one inside 19 seconds you know it's just just uh, it's a lot, start, it? well it's just lack of concentration I think isn't it and then you know later on you know again it was concentration from set piece but you take um you know overall some fantastic uh, football played and they gave them a really good game and with a better side I thought on the day you know, and um, and the way they came back against QPR, you know, really encouraging. Yeah, definitely. Like you say, um, you know, a little bit daunting looking ahead. I think the the next sort of few games look pretty tough, don't they, Andy? Well, they do. I mean, you know, uh, 
Brentford away, I mean, that's going to be tough, isn't it? You know, they're a team that um, have sort of, um, they've done their business really well, actually. Over the last few years, they've sort of steadily built and built to, um, you know, and obviously they came close to um, gaining promotion last year and their ambition is clearly to get to the Premier League. Um, so that's going to be a tough game. But I think, you know, if there is a positive, and, you know, it is a very slim positive, but if there is anything to come out of, the fact that there are no fans at the moment, I think, is that, you know, when you go into places like Brentford, particularly, you know, they've got a brand new stadium and all that sort of stuff, you know, you haven't got, I think it's a bit of a leveller, the fact that there are no fans there. And don't get me wrong, you know, I would love nothing more than fans to be back in stadiums right now. And, you know, I'd much rather have, you know, I don't know, two, three, four thousand, whatever they'd let of the Sky Blue Army um, at Brentford's new stadium, sort of cheering and roaring the Sky Blues on to... Um, on Saturday, but the fact that you know there are no fans there, there are no home fans there, sort of um, cheering Brentford on, I think that you know that that can play into Coventry's hands a little bit, um, and I think it will do this season. And yeah. you know, if you look in the Premier League, um, if you look at some some of the the crazy results they've had there, and you know, you've got to think that you know the the, the lack of fans, the, the fact there are no fans, has got to have played a some part in some of those results yeah absolutely yeah it's, it's a good point actually i am really thought of it that way around um so yeah like you say going to some of these bigger teams maybe it takes the pressure off a little bit yeah absolutely yeah um you know and uh, i mean it, it, it is a shame because you know i mean the sky blue army i mean you know they they're brilliant on their road you know they really are and um and i know the players are desperate to have them back um uh, I did a nice piece with uh, Leo Ostergaard um, uh, and he was talking about his relationship. He had the fans uh, with the fans at St. Pauli in Germany in the um, Bundesliga 2 um, last season. And, uh, you know, he says, you know, just desperate for the fans to come back, you know, so he can have that sort of similar sort of um, relationship and rapport with. Um, and I think, you know, he's, uh, you know, one of those players that I think the fans will uh, really take to once uh, when they come back and finally get to see him in the flesh. Yeah, definitely. And then something we've chatted about a little bit on the podcast so far this season was obviously we came into the season with a lot of players that are probably League One standard and we weren't quite sure if they'd make the step up. How do you feel that we've sort of adapted to to the, to the level? Well, I mean, I think to be fair to the recruitment, I mean, I think they've boxed clever a little bit because, you know, even when they, were, they brought players in like um, uh, Jamie Allen, um, who has yeah. played in the championship Carl McFadden has played in the championship so they've got experience um, you know um, Liam Kelly um, uh, he was with Bristol City some time ago he didn't play a great deal because he got injured but you know he is that level of player um, you know uh, Callum O'Hare um, is a, a player with tremendous talent that you know everybody thinks um, can play championship level um, minimum you know, you, you look through the side, you know, the Marco Morosi, I mean, the top goalkeeper who, yeah. you know, looks comfortable at this level. You know, Andy Rose is another one, you know, that perhaps exceeded expectations. You know, he came down from Scotland from air. And, um, you know, I think Chris Baddon would would openly admit that, you know, that he's done way, way better than um, they had um, initially uh, expected. Um, you know, and, and now he's been sort of touted um, as a potential Premier League player, you know, um, 
had some uh, bit of interest uh, earlier in the summer. There was a bit of speculation about it. We don't know whether there was or not. But um, so you know, you, you you can go through the whole side, you know, and um, uh, and there are players there that are, you know that are geared up to championship football. And and the, the thing I like um, about players like, for example, uh, Matty Garden, who's you know he had a little taste of it with Scunthorpe some years ago when he was a younger player, um, but. He's gone a long way around and it's taken him six, seven, eight years or whatever it is um, to get to the, the level that he wants to play at. And, you know, he's so hungry. I mean, you can tell when he speaks, yeah. you know, he's got he's got that sort of in um, inbuilt sort of drive that he's desperate to prove himself because this is his one big chance. You know, he's 29 years of age. Um, it reminds me a little bit of, um, you know, when Andy Morrell signed for the club some years yeah. ago. He yeah. came from... Um, I think it was Newcastle Red Star or sort of Black Star, whatever they were called. Um, and he got this sort of great opportunity to get into league football. And my God, you know, he took that chance. You know, he and he, he, he rinsed out as much time um, as he could at that level. Um, you know, and he reminds me of that a little bit um, in terms of, you know, just that enthusiasm and that um, that drive to do well. And I think, you know, you look, you look through the whole, you probably go through the whole side and, and they've all got that. They've all got that hunger to prove themselves, you know, because they know what a, such a big opportunity it is you know, in their careers. Yeah, definitely, Andy. I'm sure we'll go uh, look into more of the Sky Blues later. Um, but I'm keen to find out a little bit more about you, Andy. Where, where did you grow up? Um, well, my family are from Worcestershire, um, okay. and um, I was born over in Northern Ireland. My dad was in the Navy, and mm. he was uh, a writer, and he was stationed at the Naval Air Base at Ballycally, just outside Londonderry. Okay. Um, so I was born over there, over there, and we came back, and my dad retrained, and he got a job um, in Coventry. Um, it's funny, actually, yeah, he was offered a, a job in Bristol as well, so I could have been a Bristol City fan or even a gas head. Oh. <laughs> it was, uh, and it was funny because um, he, he went for the interview with uh, a friend of his who was a Geordie, and um, and his dad, and my dad said to him, what, what are you going to do? Because they were both offered jobs uh, at Bristol and Coventry, and uh, he flipped a coin, <laughs> and they, uh, the coin decided that he was going to go to Coventry, so my dad followed, it, followed him, and they both set up there, and... Um, so uh, I was uh, I was about three at the time. I think we moved to Coventry, and then mm. um, I was about four. We moved to Nuneaton, and I grew up in Nuneaton uh, in Stocking Ford. And I can tell by your Twitter profile picture that you're a Sky Blue fan. Um, who were your heroes growing up, Andy? Well, I mean, you know, um, it was funny because my dad used to take me, and we used to go to the Spine Cop, and um, we used to take yeah. a, a old stool, and I used to stand on the stool and. My dad went with his Geordie mate, and we we often probably one of the first few games we went to probably I would involve Newcastle United at Highfield Road, yeah. um, but um, but yeah, I mean when I first sort of started out, I mean uh, Ian Wallace, Mick Ferguson, Tommy Hutchinson, those, those yeah, sort of players, Nick, of Nick Coop, yeah, yeah and then sort of as I got a little bit older, sort of the likes of Kevin Gallagher, and then of course mm. the '87 squad, you know, were fabulous. I mean I was at university when um, in '87 when they uh, won the cup, but. Um, but yeah, so the the '87 squad really, you know, a lot of them, the likes of Trevor Peak, um, David Phillips. I mean, they were sort of you know heroes of mine at the time. I was just fantastic players, absolutely, you know, gave their all and just consistent. You know, that that was the big thing with those two, consistency. What did you make of um, Highfield Road, Andy? Because obviously we'll be talking about the Rico later. But I want your view on Highfield Road. What was your view on that stadium? Yeah, I mean, you know, fantastic stadium. You know, um. 
uh, fond memories uh, mm. of my time there as a fan and uh, and also working. That's where I started um, first covering the Sky Blues back in '98 um, um, at Highfield Road. So um, yeah, but I mean, it, it was um, you know it was getting a bit sort of tired and outdated a little bit, and, and yeah. I could see I could see why they wanted to move. You know, because um, obviously the plan was. Um, to uh, be more self-sustainable and have those mm. sort of um, income streams coming in, and you know, basically, it was just limited with the amount of corporate um, hospitality they could um, provide, you know, because mm. they weren't making enough money, and, and that was the plan behind it all. Um, but um, but yeah, you know, lots of fun memories um, of uh, of going there. You know, some, I mean, the thing about Highfield Road was, I mean, it was that that era, uh, you know, in the top flight Premier League era mm. where. Coventry on their day at Highfield Road would give anybody a game. You know, yeah. you know, you only have to look at you know the three-two Man United um, yeah. memorable win at Christmas in uh, 90, uh, 97, um, yeah. 98. I mean, that was just you know, I mean, it's it's just stuff that dreams are made of, you know. And that's why I think you know we all love following the Sky Blues because yeah. you know every now and again back then you used to get fantastic results like that, you know, and. Um, and that just could sort of keep you going, you know, and then you'd probably go to Chelsea the following week and, and get stuff. But, you know, then, you know, who knows what, you know, they pull something out of the bag the next week, you know. Yeah, we were definitely a match for a lot of people at Highfield Road. Mm. Yeah, yeah I definitely agree with that. Um, how did you get into uh, journalism, Andy? Uh, well, uh, that was uh, fairly easy, really. I mean, a bit, bit by default, really. I mean, I did A-levels, went to uni, yeah. came back... And um, I think I was working at Federal Express on unloading lorries doing a night shift while I was sort of looking for a, a proper job, as it were, not a proper job, but, um, you know, to sort of the first step in my career. But um, uh, a mate of mine was working on the local paper, the Nuneaton Tribune, and he said, oh, they're looking for a, um, a trainee reporter. Do you fancy it? And I thought, well, I've got nothing to lose. So um, I went there and um, and started working there. And, you know, and then obviously moved to the... The Telegraph a, a few years later, and, and that was it, really. You know, and um, you know, thirty odd years on, and here I am, still well, doing it. <laughs> and have you have you always sort of reported on football? Have you have you spread across sort of different sports as well, Andy? Uh, no, I mean I started out as a news reporter. Um, I used to um, do a lot of crime stories and. It was a time in Nuneaton where there were quite a few murders. <laughs> I covered a few murders in my time. You're busy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, then I did features and uh, special investigations and all sorts of stuff like that. So I, I got a real, um, a, re a really broad grounding in journalism. And then um, uh, the opportunity came up in '98 um, to move into sports, and I took over from uh, Adam Dent um, back in '98. And uh, so. Uh, I've been doing it for 21 years now, covering the Sky Blues. But back, you know, some years ago when we used to have a, a big sports desk, um, I used to do a bit of uh, cycling and tennis as well, um, covering those sports. But that was it, really, um, other than the football. Yeah. Can you remember the first Sky Blues game that you that you reported on, Andy? I can. Yeah. Yeah. It was. It, it was the, uh, the the following game from the uh, fantastic game that we just mentioned, the 3-2 um, win over Man United at Ivor Road. And they went to Anfield in the FA Cup third round. It was mm. 3rd of January 1998. And they uh, they beat Liverpool 3-1. Yeah, I remember Darren, that. 
Darren Huckabee, Dion Dublin and Paul Telford got the goals. Mm. Um, and they got to the quarterfinals that year. I don't know if you remember. They uh, yeah. they lost to um, Sheffield United in the end. Penalty shootout, wasn't it? Mm. That's yeah, right, yeah. I remember. But I mean, it was an incredible period to take over because um, yeah, it, was, it was just so exciting. I mean, I think game after the Liverpool game, they lost to Chelsea um, away and then they went on this incredible 12-game unbeaten run in the League and Cup. Um, you know, it was just unbelievable and um, it was just great, you know, great times. And as I said before, you know, that's that's what the memories of Highfield Road that, that's so special to me, you know, the fact that, you know, they did, um, uh, you know, do so well at, at times in periods, you know, different uh, incarnations, different teams, you know, but, um, you know, they, they, they could um, punch above their weight at times. Yeah, definitely. And another thing that you would have dealt with a lot of Sky Blue managers in your time. Um, yes. Who were some of the notable <laughs> characters? Because I know there's probably a few. Did you have sort of a, a, a favourite manager and a maybe perhaps the least favourite manager you've had to deal with? Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, I've been quite lucky to be honest. I mean, um, incredibly. I mean, I was just looking at uh, looking at the list um, earlier. Um, because I thought you might ask me about the managers, but uh, I've had uh, yeah, sixteen in twenty-one years. Wow, um, yeah. that's that's permanent managers as opposed to um, yeah. temporary managers. Um, so um, yeah, and I mean to be fair, I mean most of them have been really nice guys. Um, you know, you you think about um, the likes of. Chris Coleman, Tony Mowbray, Rowan Nielsen, Stephen Presley, Eric Black. Lovely, lovely bloke, Eric Black. Yeah. Chris Coleman was a, a lovely guy. You could never get hold of him, but he was a <laughs> smashing fella. He really was a nice bloke. And he was one of these guys that, you know, you go down to the training gown and, and from rain or shine, it didn't matter what sort of a, a day he'd had, he'd always be exactly the same with, with the press. You know, charming and personable and friendly. Um, and, you know... Tony Mowbray, Rowan Nielsen, and all the same. So Stephen Presley, a nice guy. He had a bit of an edge to him occasionally. Um, yeah. um, Gordon Strachan was a bit of a challenge at times, but, you know, deep down, a, a decent bloke. Um, yeah. You know, um, I'll I tell you, he was a horrible bloke, and that was his assistant, Gary Pendry. Oh. Um, the most ignorant person, I think, I've ever dealt with in football. I mean, just... just I don't know what it was. He just, he just obviously just hated the press, but, um, he, you know, he'd walk, walk down a corridor, he wouldn't even look at you. Um, it was bizarre. Um, but Yeah, we had, we had, sorry to put in there, um, mm. we had Rob, Rob Gurney on and he had a, a bit of a set two with... Uh, I remember, I was Ga- there. Ga- well, yeah, Gary Penn. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Was, uh, you're not the only one who said that. And... He, he grabbed him by the scruff of the neck and put him in, yeah. in and threatened him in, um, in a broom cupboard. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He did, yeah. Um, yeah, it was uh, shocking, but um, I, I, I'm trying to think of others. I mean, um, uh, A.D. Boothroyd was a nice guy, but a bit of a control freak. Um, Mark Venus, um, I didn't really get on with him. He didn't like dealing with the press. That was his problem. And he, I, I guess he took over at a time when they were under pressure. Um, yeah, it was a bit toxic, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And just, but he just wasn't very nice, you know. Um, you know, I, I treat people... You know, as a fine, you know, and if people treat me with respect, then I'll treat them with respect. But you know, it's just one of those blokes that just you know, um, just wasn't very nice to deal with. But uh, Mickey Adams was funny because um, um, he was a challenge for the first six months. Um, he was in charge, um, 
and he sort of it was almost like he was testing uh testing me you know um and he, he could be a bit prickly and a bit piss takey and um and stuff like that but then i went on strike i remember distinctly and then the mood changed all of a sudden he had this sort of newfound respect for me because his dad and um and alan cork's dad i think was a shop steward but um, I, know, I know that mickey's dad um had been a strong union man i mean they were from um, he was from sheffield you know the steelworks and all the rest of it um and um so when i went on strike with the telegraph at the time um he had this sort of newfound respect and it's been the relationship changed for the better which was interesting um but it's it's funny because you asked me about um my sort of favorites um i mean you might be surprised for me to say <laughs> but peter reed and andy thorne now interesting yeah exactly because you know obviously on the pitch you know in yeah. terms of what they achieved wasn't so great. I mean, Thorny got them playing some nice football at times. I remember that game they, they played up at uh, Norwich, I think it was the last game of the season, when Norwich got promoted. Um, and they were playing some lovely football. They used to play a midfield diamond, didn't they? But, um, but no, Thorny was great because you could just talk to him like a normal bloke. It's almost like talking to your mate at the pub. And <laughs> he'd tell you stuff. Do you know what I mean? And you don't really get that with modern managers. Mm. Um, you know, you could ring him up um, virtually any time and, and he'd tell you stuff and sometimes he told you too much and you're thinking well flipping heck I want to do a story on that and he said oh don't say that keep it, keep it under your hat sort of thing and um, and that was that was frustrating so you almost wished that he hadn't told you um, but but that was great um, but Peter Reid was uh, was different class really in a way and uh, just one of football's characters because mm-hmm. I remember from the very first press conference which was at Highfield Road there was quite a lot of media interest at the time um, and they called this press conference and all the nationals were there and, you know, they only really turn up when there's a, a sacking or a, a new manager appointed usually. Um, and the TV crews were all there and all this sort of stuff. And so they'd all ask their questions and stuff like that. And then I put my hand up sort of midway through the press conference or towards the end or whatever it was. And I introduced myself and he said, listen, son, see me after, I'll give you my number. And they turned to the rest of them. Um, to all the nationals and the TV blokes. He says, well, you've got to look after your local lad, haven't you? And he, true to his word, I went up to him afterwards and he said, you know, here's my phone number, ring me anytime, which was brilliant and not many managed to do that. And the following day, um, I think it was, he took up, he took over towards the end of the season and I think it was yeah. his first game mm-hmm. was going to be um, a home game, I'm sure it was. And uh, he said, he rang me off from my phone and I picked it and I couldn't believe it was him. And he said, because managers rarely ring you unless they're going to give you a bargain. Um, and he, he rang up and he said, um, he said, all right, son, I've got a line for you. And I nearly fell off my chair. I said, you've got a line for me. And so he was ringing me up with a story. I couldn't believe it. And um, I think it was, I mean, it, was, it wasn't a fantastic story, but it was a story. You know I, mean? it was, I think it, I seem to remember, I think he was going to, Stuart Giddings, his debut, he was going to pitch him in. I think they got some injury problems. And um, he was going to um, throw Stuart in um, for his debut, something like that. Um, but the other thing as well, different times again, I used to go down to Wrighton and uh, it used to be, um, access all areas so I, you wouldn't have to make an appointment you just pitch up um, you'd walk through the corridor down the corridor past the dressing rooms and go into the um, canteen and you sort of sit there and you might 
just go up to players who were having their breakfast and stuff like that and say, you know, you know the only chance I could do a quick interview and stuff like that. So uh, you do the interview and then they go out training and you'd write up your stuff, your story, and then they come back um, and you do another interview and then go back to the office and stuff like that. So it was really relaxed. But, um, but Peter Reed, I mean, he was brilliant. So I'd go down and see him, say, on a Tuesday. That used to be sort of the routine. I used to go down on a Tuesday lunchtime to see the managers and do just like a one-on-one uh, midweek. And uh, I'd go up to his, um, the manager's office and um, he'd say, come in, son, come in, son. Do you want some tea and toast? And, and we'd say, he, he ordered tea and toast. And then you're trying to do an interview, and it was quite annoying, actually, because he'd be on the phone all His phone, his mobile would be going every five minutes, and he'd be sort of saying, all right, Sam, all right, Sam, all this sort of stuff. And he'd be on the phone to, to Sam Allardyce. Or, and, and there was another time I was sat there, and he was on the phone to um, Ferguson, to Sir Alex Ferguson. Right. And, you know, he sort of say, all right, Fergie, you know, all this sort of stuff. And, and I'm eavesdropping on these conversations with these, you know, these the great and the good, which was um, – you know, fascinating sort of insight for um, for a football reporter, but uh, but yeah, but he, he was you know he was just such a a nice guy, you know, and um, again he'd tell you stuff, and um, and that was great. So we had a really good relationship, but you know, sadly, um, his heart, I don't think, and I think he was, he think he's since admitted it, his heart really wasn't in it really, and um, and that's why it didn't really work out for him. Yeah. That's it's really interesting to hear that. Just the sort of different sides to managers, which you know we perhaps don't see as fans. Obviously, we yeah. only really see what's happening on the pitch and on the Saturday. Yeah. But yeah, interesting to see what their their character is like. You know, on the training ground. Yeah, and then obviously he talks about managers in terms of players. Um, who's your sort of all time favourite commentary player? Um, I think I'd have to say Trevor Peak. Um. You know, local lad and an Eaton lad, um, but he was just an immaculate defender. He just read the game so well. Um, yeah, I think he could have played for England, Andy. Absolutely. I mean, you know, sadly, I mean, you know, a sad um, um, reflection of the times, really. I guess that yeah. you know, a lot, a lot of those players. You look, look at Brian Burrows. You know, mm. um, you know, had he had they been at more fashionable clubs, possibly, yeah, I think they probably would have played for England. Uh, or could have played for England, but um, yeah. But I mean, you know, you look at the likes of Augie and, um, you know, a fantastic goalkeeper, top flight goalkeeper. And, you know, but the trouble is, I think it was just at that time, there were so many established names ahead of him, you know, like Ray Clements, wasn't there? Peter Shilton, people like that. That, you know, it was just, he was, I guess it was just unlucky really that, um, you know, that, that they were sort of stalwarts for, for England for so long. Um, but uh, but yeah um, but yeah I have to say Trevor and you know and the thing about Trevor was he was just so consistent uh, yeah. as a player you know and um, the way he read the game was just um, you know unbelievable I mean you know obviously different years different class and stuff like that but you know the, that's the one thing I, I I admire about Dom Hyam's game is you know that he yeah. he reads the game so well um, I think he's a you know he's a terrific player and, and the way he's improved um you know, recent seasons, um, I think it's, it's superb and you know, it'd be lovely to see him carry on and get, get even better. You're listening to Sky Blues Extra. A topic which uh, a lot of our followers and listeners um, look forward to your your view is, is the uh, Rico and Wasps debacle. But before we go on to that, firstly, Andy, what do you take on when we move to Northampton's six fields? 
Um, well, I think like the majority of fans at the time, I was gutted and angry. Um, you know, I went on the, the protest march. Um, yeah. Like the other thousands that, that also um, took to the streets. And, you know, it was, it was an absolute disgrace and, and one of the darkest periods in the club's history. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the, you know, again, you know, the, the sort of um, uh, comparisons really with with the current situation, or certainly last season. You know, we're, they were playing such fantastic football uh, yeah. under Steve from Presley at the time. You know, they, they were oh. winning games by four and five goals, weren't they? And they were. you know, the likes of Callum Wilson in the side and stuff, and. And the fans were missing out on that. And that's mm. just, you know, so sad. It's, it's so sad. And that's why, you know, it's, it's so sad that, you know, all these years later, we're, we're still, well, last season, the, you know, the fans that chose to, to stay away um, missed out again, you know. Mm. It's just a, a real shame. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order mug delivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. No, it's, it's heartbreaking, isn't it, really? That mm. people from, you know, that era, um, we had a good decent side obviously we had a point deduction didn't we as well that Presley did really well to overturn with good attacking football some of the players we had were were fantastic and people from Coventry missed out even like you said last season was so heartbreaking that you know we we go and win the league and people from Coventry can't see it Mm. Mm. yeah it's very disappointing Um, do you think most of those problems were deep-rooted because when we left Highfield Road, Andy. Well, it's an interesting one. You know, I've heard the arguments, and um, yeah. I mean, you, you can take it back as far as you like, really. But um, you know, and it was a less than ideal scenario. You know, that basically they ended up um, getting into bed with the the council. I mean, Paul Fletcher always used to say, you know, the biggest mistake was um, joining forces with the council. He said, you know, they, in his experience, those things, those deals never work. Um, and and that has obviously uh, come to pass, but but you know the biggest frustration I think for me is that that when Sisu came in in two thousand and seven, um, you know they they came with thirty million pound to invest, mm. um, and they had the opportunity to buy fifty percent of the stadium, and they didn't, did they? Mm. Um, you know I I used to ask the question, I asked the question numerous times. I used to speak to Ray Ranson, the chairman at the time, and yeah. Um, you know, and it was always, you know, the, it was always almost avoided the question. You know, it was almost like, oh, you know, there's something we'll look at later. So it's not really a priority. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just think, you know, had they bought, you know, their, their half share then, they wouldn't be in the mess they are today, you know. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, there was, I mean, I don't know how much it would have cost at the time. I mean, they were talking about this sort of formula, um, which would be sort of, 
seven or eight million pounds or something at the time, which, you know, you think, take that out of the 30 million pound investment and it, you know, would have been a good investment, but, you know, we, we all know how it played out in the courts and, and ultimately, uh, you know, why they moved away. Mm-hmm. have clearly made a lot of mistakes uh, over the past few years. Um, do you think they've made amends in the last, what, three to four years in the way they've rebuilt the club mainly on the pitch? I think, yeah, well, I think on the pitch, certainly. Um, you know, they've they supported Mark Robbins uh, and he's built the club back up brilliantly um, yeah. from, from rock bottom, really. You know, League yeah. 2, we couldn't have got, well, we could have done a Notts County and gone even lower. But, um, you know, so, um, you know, from that point of view, yeah, um, I think that there are a lot of fans um, have changed their, their way of thinking. Mm. Um, but, you know, you have to say the fan base remains divided. Um so, you know, while some are prepared to forgive and forget, there are, you know, still a lot out there, um, a lot of supporters uh, who are not. Um, but, you know, the one thing I keep hanging on to, I think, you know, that um, that, that could change quite dramatically um, yeah. if, they, if they go back to the recog. Um, I think, you know, the, the, that will curry a lot of favour um, mm. for the owners. Um, and, that, you know, that has to be, uh, that has to happen. Um, you know, regardless of whether they build a new stadium or not, I mean, they need to get back to the Rico. And, uh, it's the, it's um, just, just for the good of everyone, isn't it? Now, even more for the, you know, the good of Wasps and the good of Coventry. They need to be back in the Rico, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, they got to, um, mm. you know, from um, because. To not, it's just it's financially, it's just not financially viable. Um, no. Not not to go back, you know. It's imperative. You know, if they want to stay in the championship and they want to compete in the championship uh, and, and push even higher, then you know they have to get um, get back and they have to get um, people in. I mean, you know, it, it's so sad because you know you think of last season uh, as an example. Um, you know, a promotion-winning season. They, they don't have fifteen, twenty thousand in there. Yeah, um, you yeah. know, come by Christmas time and, and post Christmas, um, mm. up until lockdown, you know, with, with the excitement building, and you know, the you know that that's a huge amount of revenue that yeah. that, that was missed out on uh, last season, and um, you know, it, it's such a shame, really. I mean, you know, to be fair to to CSU, you know, they have Batman and uh, Mark Robbins uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. as as they did the season before, the summer before, and the summer before that, but you know. You just wonder, you know, had they had sort of you know fifteen, twenty thousand at the Rico, mm. you know, what the fee, what the budget might, might have been like, you know. Um, but, um, but there you go. Yeah, you're listening to Sky Blues Extra. Yeah, and you know, as you say, it's it's really important that we get back to the Rico. But you know, it just seems like there's there's so much sort of bad blood on both sides. Can you can you see any sort of way forwards, or do you think it's just like they're just kind of like, yeah, like I said, too much bad blood, really. Um, I think there's always a way back. Um, and, um, you know, no matter how much bad blood, um, you know, has uh, gone between the two parties, I think there's always a way um, if there's a will. And um, I think there has to be a will um, for both parties. At the moment, there's no immediate rush because fans aren't yeah, there. Yeah. Um, but um, once... You know, we, we get COVID in control and fans are back. And we're getting back to normality and back in stadiums. Um, you know, I think they have to get back and I think they will get back. 
Mm. And obviously the, the new stadium plans came out sort of a few weeks ago now. Um, what did you make of that? And are, are they realistic plans in your eyes? Um, well, they've been saying they're going to build a stadium since 2014, haven't they? So, um, you know, it's not surprising that there's, uh, you know, a lot of um, scepticism mm-hmm. um, amongst fans. But the fact that the university are on board um, gives it, a, you know, a lot more uh, credibility and credence. So, um, uh, but, you know, we're still a long way off, um, you know, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens, you know. And, um, uh, I mean, you you know, they, they're talking about, you know, possibly five years, yeah. five years, um, it, at the yeah, very least. It worries me that sort of five years, really, because even if it was going to happen, it, you know, you think five years outside of Coventry, if we can't get a Rico deal, you just feel like that could really hurt the club and, and the new generation of fans coming through. Because, mm. you know, you go to the games and the amount of young kids there are there, you just think, if this isn't coming through, like, how much is this going to hurt the club? You know, when we do yeah. get a new stadium, we you know, it could really hurt the fan base. So, mm. but yeah, it, it's that five-year wait, isn't it, that's the big problem. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I mean, the, the EFL, I mean, if they're true to their word, I mean, they say that the city can only stay out of Coventry for three years. Um, so, you know, yeah. I mean, come the new year, we'll be one and a half years into that three years. So, you know, they've got to get back to the RICO sometime because, um, you know, if the EFL um, sort of say, you know, they've, they've got to go back, you know, there's no way they can stay out for five years unless they change their minds. Um you know, so hopefully they will get back to the Rico, um, certainly in the um, in the interim, um, and and then we'll see, won't we? You know, uh, um, we'll, we'll see if the if the stadium does come to fruition. But you know, I think it's just a cry and shame, really, when they have got a perfectly good stadium already there. Um, yeah. It really is. Moving on to a more positive topic now, Andy. Um, what do you make of Mark Robbins and what he's done for the club since returning? Well, I think he's been fabulous for the club. Um, there's no doubt about it. Um, you know, sadly he came in just a little bit too late to save them. Um, yeah. Back end of 2016-17. Uh, um, but I think the turning point, um, and Mark often speaks about this, you know, mm. whenever I do um, a sort of anniversary piece, you know, three years in the job or whatever it is, um, he often points to the, the uh, Checker Trade Trophy final at Wembley, you know, in the 40. 3,000 fans or whatever it was. Yeah. I think that, that was the turning point, really. You know, the, and, it, and what he's done, and quite cleverly, um, you know, he sort of, um, he sort of galvanised the fans and yeah. uh, got them together. And, and regardless of what was going on in the background, um, he managed to get them all together and all pulling in the, in the same direction in terms of the football um, and supporting the players get behind the team and I think you know it's just gone from strength to strength you know and um, you know you push it on 12 months and you know the the fantastic uh, and memorable um, game at Meadow Lane where they uh, they beat um, Notts County in the second leg of the semi-final of the playoffs mm. um, you know just special memorable nights you know and the, the, the bond between the players and the fans it was just superb you know and uh, you know, and then another Wembley trip, of course, um, and then you know, getting up last season, you know, and and just you can see that you know there's a proper plan to it, you know, and the key to this has been recruitment, I think, yeah. because you know, we if you think back to when Russell Slade was in charge and um, <laughs> you know the post Mowbray era, 
mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the sort of some of the players he bought in that, that Christmas, that January window, um, you know, they just weren't, weren't up to it. And the problem was they didn't have a recruitment department, you know, so they just not, you know, they're just picking players they know, word of mouth, all this sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, whereas now there's there's a real method to it, you know, and they do yeah. that homework. They know the types of players they want, the style of players they want. You know, yeah. they look into their characters. You know, and that's probably why they've got such a fantastic um, team spirit and such a fantastic dressing room because, you know, you know they don't – it's like I did an interview with Matty Gardner and he was sort of saying there's not one bad egg in the dressing room, mm. you know. Even the players who are not playing and don't really figure – um, you know, they're still on board. They still want to do the best for their, you know, and support their their teammates mm-hmm. and their friends, you know. And um, uh, and that's, I think, one of Mark's strengths is his man management, you know. And um, there's a lot to be said for that. You know, he really has, um, he's got the players um, all pulling in the right direction. And um, it just shows what you can achieve when um, um, when you get that, that sort of, uh, that formula right. Yeah, definitely. I hundred percent agree with that. Um, what's your relationship with Mark and uh, his assistant AD? I think with Mark, I'd, I'd, I'd probably say it was professional and um, pretty good. Yeah. Um, on the whole, um, he has his moments. He can be a bit grumpy on. Um, it's funny actually because I was having a laugh with Clive um, Eakin oh, um, yes. at the BBC about it because pre-match press conference. He can be a bit prickly. It's quite funny, actually. But, <laughs> but, but, but post-match, um, after a game, it doesn't matter if they've won or lost. He's he's really sort of um, quite you know really nice and personable and um, and, and friendly. You know, maybe for the game, maybe he's like nervous before the game and then after he's got a bit of adrenaline. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, maybe, like... yeah, maybe. I mean, perhaps he's just being a bit guarded as to what he says um, mm. because he doesn't want to. You know, because things can get misconstrued, uh, misconstrued um, uh, particularly by reporters. <laughs> but um, but uh, yeah, but in, in terms of AD, yeah, it's a funny one with AD because um, I mean, the answer to your question, I, I I don't have a relationship with um, a working relationship with AD at all. Um, he's not um, particularly media friendly, mm. um, and uh, I don't think myself or Clive, I don't think we've ever even spoken to him. Well, um, he sort of sort of sort of shuns. Um, the limelight, I suppose, or the media. Um, so we don't have a, a lot to do with them, to be honest. Yeah, um, I think regarding Adia, we've had a lot of ex-players on the podcast talk about his training methods. And I think he he's had such an impact on the uh, the team regarding the training and the way they, they train and the, the impact he has. Do you think that's the case, Andy? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, I did a nice piece with Matty Godden and, and I asked him about him. Mm. Um, you know, again, the, the reason I asked him, Matty about him, I, asked, I often ask the players about him is because, you know, we don't really get to speak to AD himself. Yeah. So, you know, it's nice to get insight from the players, what's he like sort of thing as a, as a player, uh, sorry, as a, as a coach and a character. And, um, you know, all, all the players, they all say how brilliant a coach he is. And, mm. um, you know, it was interesting. Matty sort of said, oh, is he, you know, I said, oh, is he a bit of a taskmaster? And he says, well, he is. But his yeah. attention to detail is just um, ridiculous, you know. And, um, you know, he, he he has high expectations, high demands. And, uh, you know, Matty said, you know, that, that 
aid he'd rather send somebody in if they're not pulling their weight than uh, than the waste their time his time with them. But um, but no, and I think they he has the the utmost respect from the players, and they they've all sort of bought into into his methods because because it works. You know, I mean, you know, I think he's. I don't think we can underestimate, you know, his influence and um, and the part that he's played in what is um, a really successful management team. I think that the two of them, you know, um, I don't think they're the best of mates in terms of, you know, I don't think they go to the pub together, but it's just something that works with them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's gels, they're, yeah. they're very different characters. Um, and I just think they just complement each other. Um, and I think AD, you know, with his... Uh, I mean, he comes with a you know, suitcase load of um, experience um, yeah, from his Chelsea, coaching time yeah. at Chelsea, yeah, mm-hmm. where he had great success. Um, and, uh, you know, and I think, you know, we we all saw, or we all have seen over the last couple of seasons, um, you know, how that's uh, played out on the pitch. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like, you know, AD's very much the sort of coach and very much, very influential on the pitch and our style of play and everything like that over the last couple of years. And then you've got Robbins, who's more of the the manager of the Cole Club. You know, he's obviously speaks to the media, he talks to the fans, and everyone's really bought into Robbins. But actually, AD does a hell of a lot of the work behind the scenes on the pitch. So it's kind of like you say, it's a really good combo that they've got. Mm, absolutely, yeah, yeah, and long may it continue. Yeah. Um, you just hope that uh, AD doesn't have any uh, ambitions to be a manager, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Uh, Hopefully be... he wants to stay as a coach. And absolutely, yeah. That's the ground. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And um, you, something you mentioned earlier on was about sort of Brentford and, and their kind of model, I guess, of bringing players in, selling them on. And I guess it seems like we're following in the footsteps of, of someone like that, you know, where we're buying players for, you know, one, one million now and we might sell them on for three or four I think you just gradually, your stock just rises and rises a little bit till you're selling players for 15 to 20 million. I guess that's really important, isn't it? And we've got to carry on doing that if we've got, you know, just, well, obviously stay in this division, but if we want to build as a club and end up, you know, getting back to the Premier League. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, you know, it is, uh, you know, the club have made no bones about it. That It is their business model, you know, they... Um, what they try to do is they try to develop um, players from the hugely successful production line of an academy. Um, you know, we've seen the likes of Callum Wilson, James Madison, Tom Bayliss, you know, to name just three, um, you know, who've um, who've been absolutely fantastic and gone on to, to have brilliant careers and make a lot of money for the club, you know. And and even the likes of, um, of Mark McNulty, you know, I mean, they, they picked him up for a free from Sheffield um, United, you know, and then 12, 12 months later, they sold him on for profit to Reading. So, you know, and then um, you know, and there are value. There's value in in the players that they're buying. You know, like you say, you mentioned Gus Gus Hamer, and mm. you know, just over a million pounds for him. But you know, there's value in that player. I mean, he's already um, all right. Lost his copybook a little bit by getting sent off, yeah. but um, but you know, people pundits um, and people in football who've seen him are already talking about. Yes, yeah, so that's know, good, aren't they? Absolutely, you know, and and you know he, he's one of those players that he's just taken to it instantly, and um, you know if he carries on, um, you know the way he started the, the sending off side, and um, you know there's going to be, you know there's going to be a lot of people sort of sniffing around him come, um, well hopefully not January, but certainly probably next summer if he has a, a successful season. But you know they're valuing players like Tyler Walker. You know, I mean they spent money on Tyler, mm-hmm. yeah, but but if he carries on 
his sort of the, the this sort of upward trajectory that he's shown from League Two to League One and now into the Championship. And if he sort of scores a lot of goals like he has in the previous two seasons, um, you know, there's value in him as well. You know, so um, you know, I mean, look, we all want these players to stay and be Coventry players, but um, the reality is that that once a player does stand out, that inevitably they will get sold or, or they will be um they will get offers the club will get offers that you know that they can't really turn down but the secret to it is having um players underneath that or targeting like they did with with Liam Walsh leaving you know they already had in mind Gus Hamer who was going to come in so they knew that they were going to lose Liam Walsh which was a huge sort of um, void to fill how are they going to do that while well, Okay, let's see if we can get somebody with those qualities and more and get better. Um, I mean, I had an interesting chat with them, um, Chris Badlin and um, the head of recruitment, and he was saying about, you know, they brought Brian Abakari in um, and he added undoubted quality and it sort of raised the bar really in terms yeah. of recruitment. You know, I mean, as, as much as he's a bit of a maverick player himself, but, uh, you know, we, we all enjoyed him for, you know, the, the short time he was with us. But, Already in Chris Badlin's mind, he's thinking, right, well, he's going in the summer. Who can we get in? And in to replace him, he's thinking, right, we've got Callum O'Hare. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, he's coming in on loan. But, you know, the bigger picture is in 12 months, is he going to be out of contract? Are we going to be able to pick him up for nothing, which they have? Yeah. Um, and so there's always a contingency plan. So they're always working ahead. And and, and Chris always sort of says to me, he says that they're, they're always working one or two windows ahead of themselves. Yeah. So, you know, their business is pretty much done. I mean, you know, obviously it's transfer deadline day, the domestic window on, on Friday this week. But, and I, you know, unless they were going to sort of throw something in, like, you know, uh, suddenly announce a loan deal for a player coming in or something, which I doubt, but, I mean, it could happen. Um, you know, their business is, was, was done really sort of six, eight months ago. You know, that's when they were doing their planning for the summer window. And, you know, they've already, they're already working on the January window and next summer, yeah. if not the summer after. I mean, they brought Ryan Giles in. That was an interesting one. So he came in last January. But I remember speaking to Chris at the time and sort of saying, well, we've really brought him in with a view to, next, to this season. Um, yeah. which I thought was really interesting. So it's, you know, they're, they're always trying to stay one step ahead. So, you know, they can anticipate that if Gus Hamer, you know, um, is sold next summer, well, hopefully they'll have somebody in line to come in and, uh, and, and take his place, you know, who, again, can raise the bar again. And then there yeah. are young, young kids like, you know, the likes of Josh Eccles. I mean, you know, he's out at Gillingham on loan. You know, will he get invaluable experience there and could he come back and could he do a job you know and uh, it's really interesting the way they work but um, you know they are the the recruitment department has been um, been key to it all I think as well as you know obviously excellent management um, team you know and, and great coaching um, yeah, no, you're yeah, right. No, it's been it's really interesting that that sort of planning ahead, which is like you say, something we perhaps haven't had in the past. I think the young players that we sign now as well, you know, you look at players like Hyam, McCallum, they weren't even academy players, they were just brought in into the under twenty threes, developed very quickly, and then within like less than a year they're in the first team. And in McCallum's case, he's been sold for what, you know, two or three million. So 
just going out and finding those under 23s that are ready to step up as well I think has been really really key yeah and uh, you know they, they, they've done um, a lot of business in that department haven't they in, in uh, recent years yeah. they haven't they haven't always worked out um, you know yeah. you Sam McCallum has, uh, well yeah exactly and, and you know and, and Chris openly admits that you know you do take a gamble you know you probably take a gamble on every player they sign you know um you know, unless it was Messi or Ronaldo or whatever, but um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? But you know, for every Sam McCallum, there's probably you know there's a, there's a unfortunately you know a Reece Alassani who who hasn't yeah. maybe made made the step up, you know, and and didn't fulfil the potential that they'd hoped, you know. Um, um, I think he's back at Dagenham and Redbridge now, isn't he? And uh, you know, who knows? You know, perhaps he might might come good. Um, you know, in time, but um, but yeah, so you know, some they get right and some they don't. Um, but you know, they just have to sort of keep doing that and keep bringing these lads in and developing them. I mean, Declan Drysdale, I mean, he's a terrific young defender with great prospects, and um, you know, he's going to benefit from being out and drilling at drilling him on loan as well. 100%. Yeah, um, some games. game some games in him, I think we'll do yeah. some good. So, you know, you, you get, you know, if there's a scenario where Michael Rose is snapped up by whoever, you know, in January or hopefully not January, but, you know, next summer or summer after, whatever, um, you know, hopefully by then Declan comes back and, and he can just sort of slot in, you know, and um, and it's almost like seamless, you know, where they've got these sort of players ready to uh, to step in and uh, and take their next, their chance, their opportunity. Mm, yeah definitely and I know it's kind of early days as we said but where do you think we'll finish this season in the, in the table well it's difficult isn't it um, uh, what I'd like to think comfortable mid-table um, I mean obviously yeah. it'd, be, it'd be fantastic if they finished in the top half um, or higher I mean it's interesting that you know, the players are quite confident about the season I mean Carl Patton said a few weeks ago that he he fancies them for the for the playoffs. So, I mean, you know, which, you know, fair enough. He can't uh, can't knock his his confidence and enthusiasm. Um, but I think you know, I think most people would settle for um, you know stability and just um, getting a foothold in, in the division and and hopefully you know building again in the next transfer window or sort of next summer's transfer window and um, you know and steadily getting stronger. Um, and um, you know, building some real strength and depth, and 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 you know, I think it's going to take time. A bit like the Brentford model, like you like yeah. we talked about earlier. You know that you know build slowly, build slowly, and 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 see where it takes them. You know, and then mm. you know, eventually, hopefully, become you know, be able to compete at the top end um, yeah. of the division, and then who knows what could happen. Yeah, definitely. And I think you know, with the current financial landscape in football, it seems to me that it's imperative we stay in the division. You know, obviously with the TV money and everything else and no fans. Would you agree with that, Andy? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is, it's, it's vital. And, you know, and uh, I mean, once they do get the fans back, I mean, that's when, um, you know, that that's when they can really sort of um, take advantage of, you know, those bums on seats if they do get back to the Rico and, and really start to build because, you know, they'll have the, um, you know, be able to uh, have a, a better budget um, um, to be able to s- sort of sustain where they want to be, really. Um, and uh, but yeah, it is. It's it's crucial because um, the last thing I want to do is sort of drop back to down to League One. Um, that would be uh, you know a real 
uh, dampener, wouldn't it? Um, but, yeah. Uh, I think you know. I, I think I think they've got the wherewithal to do it. I think they can um, yeah. stay in the division. Um, you know, and hopefully, you know, we already mentioned, uh, talked at length about the recruitment. You know, they get keep getting that right. There's no reason why they can't um, just go from strength to strength, really. Yeah, absolutely. And I was going to say, really, on a sort of final note, we, you know, obviously it's fantastic we're back in the championship, but what do you think the sort of club's ambition should be now? Is it, you know, are we, should we be back in the Premier League one day or, or do you think kind of the championship is perhaps our, our level given, you know, how much things have changed since we've been back there? Um, no, I think, you know, I think you, you always set your... You, your target's high um, and I think, you know, ultimately, you know, everybody wants to be back in the Premier League. You know, City had, um, I mean, younger um, supporters um, probably don't know, but, you know, 34 years in the top flight, mm. you know, and there's no reason yeah. why they can't get back there, you know. Um, mm. So, you know, and they'd, they'd be pulling in crowds of sort of 19, 20,000 or something at Highfield Road, wouldn't they? And, uh, you know, I know the game's changed. Um, it's a very different sort of landscape now. But um, I think ultimately that has to be the the ambition. Um, but, you know, I think that's going to take time, you know, unless you know, all of a sudden you get, you know, a, a billionaire comes in and, and throws money at it or whatever, then, you know, that, that's not going to happen. It's going to take time, isn't it? It's going to, you know, and if they follow the similar sort of model that we talked about with Brentford, then there's no reason why they can't, you know, in in three, four, five years' time, um, you know, be, be a force in the championship and, um, and, and push for that ambition. Yeah, brilliant. Um, Andy, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the Skyview's Extra podcast. Some some fascinating insights there into the club, some some perhaps different perspectives that we uh, we hadn't heard before. So, yeah, no, thanks a lot for coming on and, and for making the time. Yeah, you're welcome. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. Brilliant. And listeners, don't forget, you can get involved after every game on our Sky Blues Extra Live. Just join Dean and Dave in the studio to give your views on the action. We once again thank Shortland Horn for kindly sponsoring us. And as always, if you want to get involved in the conversation on any of our channels, just use the hashtag SkyBluesExtraPodcast. Thanks for listening to the Sky Blues Extra Podcast. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.